0: They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, further, he, set, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Right, let us go. Here comes my betrayer.
1: Good job. Thanks, Mulligan. We find ourselves with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, these Sundays, as we approach uh, Easter, we are reading through the Book of Mark and those passages of the night before the crucifixion of Jesus. And, uh, and we will carry on until his crucifixion as we celebrate Easter. And these events that um, we find here, if you want to follow along, uh, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into uh, into these verses today. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, it's in Mark 14, verse 32 to 42. We find that after uh, Jesus had his uh, supper with his disciples, they go off to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he goes to pray. When we look at this events and what happened in the garden, uh, I'm always I'm reminded. Some years ago, this was 90, 1997, I think. My wife and I went to uh, for a ten day tour through Israel, and one of the places we visited was this uh, this garden of Gethsemane, um, outside Jerusalem. And one of the most amazing things that kind of struck me was there were olive tree olive trees in this garden. And olive trees can grow very very old. And there are actually a few trees in the garden there that they reckon could be as old as 2,000 years. Meaning that that night when Jesus was praying there, there were little saplings they were obviously not big trees if they that old, but maybe small little trees who overheard those prayers. And they are still there today bearing witness to to that night of prayer. I thought a lot about, okay, well what can we learn? What, what can I share about these events? There's a lot of theology in this passage. There's a lot I think we can learn about prayer. But the thing that struck me is that we see a different side of Jesus here that we have not seen in the Gospels up to this point. And that is a moment of weakness. Have you ever had a moment of weakness? How do you respond? I see Danny says, nah, not me. <laughs> no, just kidding, then. How do we respond in a moment of weakness? And we're going to reflect on that today and learn from Jesus. How did he respond in this time of weakness? <clears throat> the image we see of Jesus up to this point is someone who is strong, who is a leader. He walks along the Sea of Galilee and he calls people to follow him. And they drop everything and they follow him. That's someone who's strong, someone who's, who stands out. We see how he confronts the Pharisees about their doctrine and about their blindness, how he risks death by challenging the religious authorities of the time, how he gets threatened with being thrown off a cliff by his own townspeople where he grew up. We see how he goes about and he, he drives out demons he confronts a madman that everybody tried to bind in chains. And every time they tried to bind him, he just broke loose and he, and, and he, and he went crazy. And he engages that, guy, that, that crazy man and drives out the demons from him. We see someone who is strong, who is a leader, who doesn't show any signs of weakness. Yet here in the garden, we see another side of Jesus that we have not seen before. And how did Jesus respond in his time of weakness? What we're going to learn about today is something more practical. And it's a concept called vulnerability. Jesus responded to his time of weakness with vulnerability. What is vulnerability? Vulnerability is really exposing yourself without fear of getting hurt. Without fear of how you may look that you may look bad, or, or what other people may think of you. It's just showing yourself, say, this is where I'm at, this is how I'm doing, without worrying about what other people are people going to think of me. If you want to know more about vulnerability and some practicalities, there's a fantastic TED Talk uh, by uh, 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 someone called Brene Brown, that's B-R-E-N-E, Brene Brown. You can go and look it up on YouTube. It's a TED Talk, it's about 20 minutes long, I wanted to show a clip today, but 20 minutes is a bit too long, but it's definitely worth going to watch uh, to learn more about this concept of vulnerability. Vulnerability's got four parts to it, and we're gonna dive a bit deeper into each one of those. It's sharing our weakness, sharing our feelings, sharing our need, and then apologizing if necessary. If we think about, if we look at this passage, How did Jesus share and talk about his weakness at this time? So we're in this uh, passage in Mark 14, verse 32 to 42. If we read it, what do we think? What do we see there? How did Jesus share about his weakness? How did he expose himself? Anybody? (coughs) Take a moment, read it again. Any frustration. frustration? Yeah. And what, what? What do you see that shows with his friends, disciples. Yeah. Frustration with his friends. Yeah. We'll come back to that bit. Yeah. He told him he was overwhelmed. Like in what? This is God incarnate, and he feels overwhelmed. Isn't God like over all and through all and in all, like bigger than everything? How can God be overwhelmed? But that is Jesus, like really exposing himself, like I am also a human, like you and you and you. Uh, Lucia, did you have your hand up? said he asked
2: God to take his away. Right.
1: Exactly. It's like in here's Jesus confronting death, confronting a madman, confronting the Pharisees, and it's like in. I don't think I can handle this. Can you take it away from me? So he, he very clearly says, he very clearly expresses what it is that his challenges are. He says things like, I'm deep, it says he was deeply distressed, he was troubled. He says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That is clearly expressing a weakness. Like, and wow, I I don't think I can handle this. How do we express our weaknesses? How do we express our feelings? <clears throat> with men, I know the women are generally better at this, and I know talk, you know we can't always generalize. Some men are better, some are not. But I would say, in general, men struggle with expressing their feelings. Like, in, I know if I ask uh, some of my friends or some of my family members, or or if someone asks me, like, "So how do you feel?" So I can feel. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I'm okay. Or, um, yeah, I'm all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Or, uh, not so great. That's kind of like in the extent of my, my feelings vocabulary. For men, if you can kind of get it down to a few basic things, like uh, a simple one is mad, sad, glad, or afraid. That's a good start. If you can verbalize, like, how do you feel? I'm glad. Okay, great, that's positive. I'm glad you're feeling good. I'm sad. How do you feel? Oh, mad. Or... I like go, wow, that's a big step forward for a lot of men. Um, but there's actually quite a bigger vocabulary of expressing how we, uh, um, how we feel. Jesus is very clear and very expressive about how he feels. He talks about his soul being overwhelmed. How eloquent is that? Yes. Vulnerability starts with learning to actually express how we feel, to express some emotions. And it's helpful to build up a vocabulary. Things like frustrated, angry, afraid, distressed, overwhelmed. Um, I think I've, I, I've hit the limit of my vocabulary there. Help me out. What are others, other words we, we can use to express how we feel? Come on, ladies, help me out, please. <laughs> Positive, negative, yes. Powerless. Power, I feel powerless. Sorry. Or I feel strong. do no? I feel liberated. I feel oppressed. I feel under pressure. I feel annoyed. I feel disappointed. I feel lonely. I feel connected. I feel disconnected. I feel happy. Happy. Joyful. Elated. Confused. I feel confused. Uncertain. Yeah, there's a whole collection there. So there actually, there are loads and loads of words, if we think about it and we explore it a bit, that can describe how we feel. A lot of those words kind of exposes our weakness because in general, people like to put up, you know, the brave face, the happy face, the I'm okay face, I'm good, I, I don't need anything, I can take care of myself, I'm strong, but when we start saying things like, I feel weak. Oh, my, I feel my faith is weak. I feel uncertain. I feel afraid. I feel lonely. I feel disconnected. That that exposes us. That shows like in, oh, I'm not as strong. Maybe I need something from somebody else. Maybe I need something from God. Vulnerability starts with having that ability not being afraid of how people perceive us or see us or what they think of us but putting it out there and saying this is who I am this is where I'm at if we can start there like Jesus did to be brutally honest of where we're at how we feel then we can start coping with weakness and difficult situations and pressure in a healthy constructive way there are other coping styles when we're under pressure. How could Jesus have coped differently in the situation where he was at, knowing that he's going to be arrested and be crucified? What could another coping style have been? Pardon? He could have gone alone. Yeah. He could have liked it well. He knew, he was like, in, I'm not going to have six disciples crucified this side of me and six this side or six this side and five that side, knowing that Judas was going, not going to be there. Oh, yeah, Peter is going to run away, so five here and five there. He knew it was just going to be him alone. Yet he took all of them with him. Yeah, so he could have gone all alone. How else could he have coped with this situation? Not, not even going. Not even going. He could have run away. could have done like Peter and said, Jesus, I don't know. I've heard of that. It's not me. Or he could have gone back to Galilee, where he came from. And those are different coping styles when we feel weak or we're under pressure or we're in a difficult situation. Typically, it is coping styles like we either uh, flight is one, where we rather run away, or it's fright, we get scared and we go hide somewhere, or it's fight, where we say, "Okay, I'm ready for the fight. Bring it on," <coughs> and you take your sword. You say, right, like Peter did and cut off the guard's ear. like in, Jesus said, no, no fighting. Put away the sword. Those are all coping styles that's very common. I recognize that in myself. when, when I feel threatened or I feel accused, or when I feel under pressure, or someone expects something of me, and I know I dropped the ball, I didn't do it. I very easily can go into a defensive mode, or I can go into counterattack mode, like, and in, it's like, in, Well, wow, yeah, you did it. I knew that. And all different coping styles are either running away, denying the problem that is not healthy in the sense that it doesn't actually help us to, to make progress or resolve the, the, the situation. When we expose ourselves by being vulnerable, by acknowledging our weakness, by taking this first step of sharing our weakness, uh, it takes a risk. We take a risk of being uh, embarrassed or feeling humiliated, Um, but it actually also endears us to people. It connects us with people. It helps us to, to gain understanding with people. And we see here that Jesus put it all out there. He said, this is how I really feel. This is where I'm at. This is a moment of weakness for me, which is why he wanted to pray. We have some encouraging scriptures around this. In Romans, the Bible promises us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our moment of weakness. Sometimes when we feel weak, we don't even know what to say. And the Bible promises us, don't worry, the Spirit will give us the words to say. God thrives when there's weakness. In Corinthians, Paul says, God told him, when Paul said, I've got this weakness, this thorn in my flesh, can you take it away? Sometimes we feel like, we can't be weak. There should be no weakness. We should all be strong and overcome the weakness and get rid of the weakness. Paul said, no. God told me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Where did Paul learn this? Maybe from Jesus in the garden. Being very open about his weakness. How can God show his power in our lives if there is no weakness shown in our lives? Because then we say, God, I don't need your power. I've got enough of my own. But when we acknowledge and show our weakness, that is where God can work and show his power in our lives. And then in Hebrews, it says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. If we recognize and realize that, yeah, Jesus knows what it feels like. He knows how it feels to have a weakness. Because we see it here in the garden in Gethsemane. So that's the first part of vulnerability is to acknowledge and expose and share our weakness. The second one is that often our weakness involves other people and it's a relational thing. It's often a reaction to how we behave towards each other and how we connect with each other. So we see this here that uh, exactly this happens with Jesus and his disciples because. He was looking, asking them, come pray with me. And then he goes, and he, uh, in verse 37, it says, he returns to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. So he tells Peter, he says, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake? Uh, could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then once more he went away, and then he comes back. He again found them sleeping. And then in verse 41, returning the third time, he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Sometimes our weakness, and when we expose ourselves and, and we're vulnerable and we try and connect with people and and, and get, ask for their help in our weakness, sometimes our relationships not only expose our weakness, but people that we interact with as well. And I suspect many of our married couples can recognize that as husband and wife, that if you think about some of your arguments and disagreements that you've had how many of it is kind of a back and forth about my weakness and a reaction of weakness and an expectation that's not met which responds with a defensive uh, reaction and it goes back and forth where one weakness actually exposes another weakness and it often leads to an either an escalation or a downward spiral in the in the relationship because we have <coughs> unhealthy coping mechanisms with other people's weaknesses. So if we imagine ourselves in this situation and coming to find your friends or your husband or your wife that you asked, oh, will you pray with me, please? I really need you. And you find him sleeping. How would you have reacted? Would it have been with a different kind of uh, response? Anger, maybe? Accusing? Would it have been something like, oh, you guys are useless, man. What have I been doing all these last three years, training you, trying to teach you? All I ask is if you just pray with me for one hour? I mean, like, really? Is that too much to ask? Throw your hands in the air, walk away. like, and, you know what? I don't need you. I'll, do, I'll just do this on my own. That could have been one reaction. Could have been me.
0: <laughs>
1: Who knows? Definitely my pride is, is uh, veers towards that kind of reaction where I would have reacted like that. Or he could have said, I just can't trust you guys. You're so unreliable. Don't you have any loyalty? Very accusing kind of statements. How did Jesus respond to this? How did he deal with it? He shared how he felt. He kind of expressed a bit of disappointment. But he asks questions. Instead of accusing them, he says, Oh, are you still asleep? Couldn't you keep watching for one hour? And then he says something that's quite amazing. He shows empathy and understanding. He says, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does that express? He says, You know what? I understand. I understand you're in a battle here. I know I, I can see your weakness as well. I've exposed my weakness. And I can see and acknowledge your weakness as well. I can understand that I'm not the only one here that's struggling and that has a weakness. Showing empathy and compassion is a great way to respond to other people's weakness. Especially when they're being vulnerable. The disciples could have walked away and said, oh, I can't stay awake. After the first time, it's like, in, oh no, he's going to find me sleeping again. Let me just rather run away so I won't be here and, uh, and Jesus will find me sleeping again. They could have done that but they stuck with him and he acknowledged that and acknowledged that I see your weakness I understand I, f- I feel with you I think another great lesson here is that Jesus talked to people not about them and I think that's a big challenge in our society it's a big challenge in our relationships when there's weakness gossiping talking about people rather than to them. I've seen it, even here in London, on the bus once or twice, or on the train or the tube. I was on a bus once from Arrow somewhere, and I can't remember the exact situation, but someone got on the bus with something irritating, frustrating, I don't know what. I think they got on the bus with a bike or something, and they blocked the whole passageway. And there was, there was these two old ladies sitting in front of me, and the guy was right there next to them, but instead of speaking to him and saying, excuse me, do you realize you're blocking the, the passageway? You know, Have you considered that people may want to get past here? Or just trying to engage with someone. They were like loudly talking to each other. Like saying, oh, you know, have you noticed that some people just don't respect other people? And they would just block passages and do things like that. As if the guy does not exist. As, as if he's not there. <laughs> it's so funny. But we observe that and we laugh about it. But it's so easy to get pulled into that, to talk about people and and the things that they do, instead of engaging with them and talking to them, like Jesus did with his disciples. Here, I see it at work very often. My colleagues talking about other colleagues. It's like, oh, I've spoken to them about that. And then there's kind of like a moment of embarrassment. Um, So often it happens. And maybe it's familiar to you, maybe not. But one thing we see here about Jesus, he took three, um, the three, uh, Peter, John, and and James with him, to to, a bit further to go and pray. He didn't tell James and John and Peter, like, what's wrong with your other nine brothers' disciples? Oh, they're useless. I mean, at least you three came with me, but they're back there sleeping. What's up with them? No, he, he spoke to them. And he addressed the issue that he saw. One of the things that I've learned, uh, one of the things I do at work is I I, I coach. And one of the things I I coach teams (laughs) in and uh, uh, people in their relationships at work, because in teams, there's often friction. Teams who work together have to kind of achieve a goal or an outcome. There's often friction and conflict. And um, one of the things I I coach them in is something called clean feedback. And clean feedback is a simple three step process that we can all benefit from. It starts with evidence, which is what did I see or here. Then it's, it communicates an inference. So, what is this? Uh, what do I make of this from what I see? And then, lastly, an impact. How does this impact me or something else? So, in Jesus's case, he could have told the disciples in, in a clean feedback way. It's like, in, you know what? I saw, God, I saw you guys were sleeping. What is the inference? From the fact that you are sleeping, now you can infer different things from that. I infer that you guys don't care about me. I need your help, but you just, you don't love me anymore. Because you didn't, you're not bothered to stay away, to help me. That's one inference. Jesus made an inference. He said, are you sleeping? Hmm. I think maybe it's because the flesh is weak, even though your spirit is willing. And then the impact is like, you know what? When I feel like I need you and you fall asleep, the impact on me is that I feel lonely. I feel abandoned. I feel like I'm not getting the help that I need. That's clean feedback. That's the way that Jesus communicated with his disciples and something we can learn from as well. Sometimes we make completely wrong inferences. A way to look at this, to sum it up, is that when weakness or unintended failure is a possibility, always assume good intent. That is how Jesus looked at his disciples. He assumed good intent. He assumed that they wanted to help him, support him, but they just failed. That is how God looks at each one of us. He assumes good intent. When we fail, when we fall short, when we mess up, when we sin. Is God disappointed? Maybe, but he assumes good intent and he knows and acknowledges our weakness. The last part of vulnerability is to express our need. We see here in verse 32, they went, like and said, Jesus didn't go alone. He took the 12 with him. Then he said, he told them, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And then he said to all the disciples, stay here and keep watch. Now this keep watch, keeping watch can mean different things. It means partly stay alert, but it also means being watchful, like being mindful. Not just like being on guard, like a guard dog, but be alert, stay awake, stay clear, be, uh, be thoughtful, be mindful. Jesus clearly expressed his need for help. He expressed that he needed them in his help. He didn't demand anything. He didn't accuse them. He didn't shift blame and say, yeah, you know what, when I was alone in the garden, you were all sleeping. Didn't accuse them. Didn't shift the blame. But he clearly expressed to them, I need you. I need your help. I need you to pray with me. Because I have a moment of weakness here. I'm struggling. I'm overwhelmed. I don't think I can handle this. What I need from you is to just pray with me, to just stay awake, stay alert. That's an important part of vulnerability, is to recognize and acknowledge the fact that we're not alone in this world, and we don't have to fight our battles on our own. Like Michael said in his welcome, in church, we are a family. God created us and made the church into a family. Not a collection of individuals. Not just a meeting of people. It's not a business meeting. It's not a a meeting with an agenda. It's not just the fact that we come here together because it's convenient or we like singing together, although we like that. But because we need that connection with each other. In Corinthians... Paul writes, and he says, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. While we are on this earth, as Christians, we need each other. I very much doubt that any of us will be able to make it to the end to endure and get to heaven all on our own. We need each other. And part of vulnerability is to acknowledge that need, but also to express it. And to say what we need when we need something, when we need something for a brother or a sister, whether it's something practical, it's like in, would you mind helping me out to, to move this weekend? You know, I can really help with shifting some furniture or you know, practical things. Or whether it's some emotional need. Or whether it's some spiritual need. Brother Shasa, I really, I need someone to pray with me. Will you pray with me? Or I just need to talk. Will you be a listening ear for me? Or have some fun together. I need someone to, you know, go on a hike. Will you come with me? Or Whatever it is. But we need each other. We need each other in, in, in all the aspects of our life. God did not create us and He did not make this church as a collection just of individuals. He called us like a body. Like this finger is connected to this hand. I cannot take it off. Except like Bronwyn's kids that believe I can take my thumb off like this. (laughs) And they still believe it. (laughs) Until they grow up and then they figure it out. (laughs) It's all connected. If if I chop this finger off and I put it over there, it's going to die. And in the same way, we can't disconnect ourselves from the church. We can't disconnect ourselves from each other and say, I don't need you. I'll be okay on my own. We need each other, and we need to express that need for each other. And then the last part of vulnerability is to apologize when necessary, when we mess up. When our weakness gets exposed, and it affects other people, because it often does, sometimes our weakness is isolated on our own, it's like, "No, oh, that's your problem. But very often, our weakness affects other people. The disciples, right at the end, the the last time when Jesus came, uh, in verse 40, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. What could they have said? What could they have said? I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, Jesus. I know you need me right now. I'm just struggling to stay awake here. I'm tired. I'm, I, my spirit wants to stay awake, but my body says no. I can relate to that. I mean, when I'm tired, my body shuts down. I can literally be in the middle of a sentence and fall asleep. And my wife goes, yes. <laughs> you may find it hard to believe, but she, she noticed it. Literally, I'm like, in, I don't know, I can't explain it, but I can be talking to someone, looking at them in the eye, and just like, fade away in the middle of my sentence and be gone <laughs> that's a real weakness i, I see this weakness like in, that's terrible i mean if, i know if someone like is like that to me i'd be like him hello i'm here it's like you we're know, not important to you the disciples they, they did not know what to say <sighs> i'm sure they learned Because they all write and talk about forgiveness and asking forgiveness and apologizing in all the letters. And and that's the message of the gospel that went out. But at this moment in time, they did not know what to say. We're vulnerable if we acknowledge our weakness and just say sorry. So, like, yeah, you know what? I'm weak. This is one of my weaknesses. I struggle with this. And you know what I need from you? I need some grace. I need some understanding. Maybe I need you to pray for me. And whatever that weakness is, maybe you're struggling with a recurring sin that keeps on coming back and keeps on coming back and you're fighting it, but it's just persistent and you're struggling to overcome it. A good starting point is to be vulnerable about it, to be open about it and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. I'm battling and I feel like I'm not winning. And what I need from you is to pray for me, to to help me where you can, to encourage me, to believe in me. That expresses a need. It shows vulnerability. And then when it happens again, you can apologize. That's the essence of vulnerability. That's, I think, an amazing lesson that I see from Jesus in the garden here. How can we respond to our weaknesses with vulnerability? By sharing our weakness, talking about it, learning how to share our feelings, sharing our need, and apologizing when necessary. We're going to have communion now where we reflect on the death of Jesus on the cross. Why did that happen? What does it mean for us? Like Lucia said in verse 36, Jesus in his prayer said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Did Jesus have free will? Yeah, I see a few nods. Yes, Jesus had free will. So if Jesus had free will, could he have refused to go to the cross? Yeah, Yeah. he could have said, I'm sorry, dad, this is a step too far. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'll go and fight the demons, I'll go fight the Pharisees, but crucifixion? Nah, I think that's asking a bit too much. Could have been like one of us. Could he have had an unhealthy coping style? Like, um, who are some of the leaders that we can think of that had unhealthy coping styles in the Bible? (laughs) What was that? I said, oh, in the Bible. In the Bible. Oh, yeah, 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 Let's let's not get too too personal (laughs) nowadays. (laughs) I think they've been put there so we can talk about them. So it's not gossip if we talk about the people in the Bible. Because (laughs) gave it to us and said, learn from them. (laughs) Don't be like them. Aaron, how did he cope? Well, he just gave in. It gave he gave in. Build a calf. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I'll build you a calf. what I just give in. I'll just give in. Yeah. I'll go with the flow. Yes, yeah. Jacob, I just killed everybody. It's like, in, okay, I'll just kill those. I'll kill them. Yeah. Elijah, Elijah how did he cope? Elijah. He ran away. Elijah ran away. Jo- uh, uh, um, Jonah ran away. So Jesus could have, he could have fought. In fact, he said, don't you know that if I'm on the cross, I could just call down on a thousand angels, a legion of angels to, to take me down. And I mean, you don't even need a thousand angels. One angel killed how many Sumerians, 100,000 or something in a night. He didn't even need one. He could have fought back, He could have run away. He could have be like Moses and pleaded unsuitabilities. Like in God, I think you've got the wrong guy. This is not me, find <laughs> someone else. He could have been like, uh, like David, who in his moment of weakness stayed at home while his people went to fight the battles. He could have sent his disciples and said, guys, go to Jerusalem, you may get crucified, I'll wait for you in Galilee. <laughs> Jesus had free will. He had weakness. He could have said no. He could have responded in any number of other coping styles. You could have responded like me, in a sinful way. How do you respond in your moment of weakness? I am grateful that Jesus did not respond like me, like I would in my moment of weakness, but that he chose out of free will to go to the cross so that I can be saved from my weakness. Jesus chose to overcome his weakness so that I can be saved from all my weaknesses. Let us reflect on that while we have the bread and the wine. these uh, is coming to prayer for us.
2: Let us bow our heads and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, there's so much to think about today, Father, but it stands out, Father, that your son was just incredible. God, you are just incredible, God, that the perfect demonstration of vulnerability, God, um, overcoming weakness, Father, so that we can be set free, Father, from our weaknesses, Father. Mm-hmm. Father, we thank you for that, God, and Father, look forward to eternity, Father, we we can understand it fully, Father, but thank you so much, God, that your ways are so much higher than our ways, Father, your um, ways of, of dealing with things, of Jesus responding to the cross. And Father, ultimately, um, even though he had free will, Father, decided for our sake, Father, to lay down his life for his friends. And And the Bible says, your word says, while we were still sinners, Father, while we didn't understand that, he, he did it, Father. What an incredible response, Father. I pray that we will take that with us, Father, this week. And remember, when we are weak, Father, you see us and make us strong, Father. That your spirit will lead us, Father. And that no temptation has seized us beyond what we can bear, Father. To Keep that in mind. And I thank you so much and I pray this in your son's name. Amen.